Uh, it's good to see you guys. Today we're starting a new leg of our journey. We kind of look at each uh, series as kind of a leg of the journey that we're on. And today we're going into uh, a really exciting text, something that has really been at the core of my heart for a long time as I've looked at the church and I've looked at um, really dissension or this kind of disagreements that we have. And, and many times I'd find myself talking to this person about this particular text and be like, yeah, I agree with you. And then I would go over here and talk to this person about this text, the same text, and I'd be like, I, I agree with you, the same theological idea. And then what I found, though, is that this person didn't agree with that person, and they thought they had to choose sides. They thought they had to pick one or the other when both things were true. And so we're going to start this new series called The Tension is Good, and um, we're going to dig into this. And really the, the idea here kind of pulls from an idea that there's certain things that are problems to be solved, and there's other things that are tensions to be managed. Like character flaws in our lives are problems to be solved, but personality conflicts that we have are just, are just tensions to be managed. And then we're going to talk about a lot of different things. There's about a hundred different ones that I could probably jot down. These tensions, that some of them are, are kind of uh, scriptural ideas. that are, they're, Both are true, and for some reason we feel like we've got to choose, but we don't. The, but resting in that tension, there's a great maturity that happens. In that, I mean, we look at a, a bridge, like if there's structural damage, like to the, the Matthews Bridge, I mean, that was a problem that had to be solved, like let's roll out the finances for it, let's get the, the bridge fixed, nobody else can ride on it, problem's got to be solved. But then if it's just traffic, like nobody's rushing out spending millions of dollars to change your traffic issues in Jacksonville, like you still got traffic, it's a tension to be managed. Like, you've still got that. And here's what I've found, is that sometimes we've kind of set, thought, like, hey, we've just got to have this and not the other. But really, I think that they work, they, they coincide with one another and full embrace that, hey, maybe those personality conflicts in our life, maybe they'll actually help our character grow up. And, and so there's some things that are problems to be solved and some tensions to be managed. And today we're going to look at, at probably the one that's the most foundational to our faith the most foundational to our faith, and, and with the tension of faith and works, faith and works. And we're going to dive in, and I, I want to start with a, a text um, in Ephesians chapter 4, where it talks um, really about Jesus's mission in the church and how he had kind of set that up. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through, and we're actually going to go to a really exciting text. Like, has anybody ever, you know, some of us will remember the text where Jesus flips over tables and he gets really angry. I think Jesus is even more angry in this text that we're going to look at today. Like, how many of you guys would like to be a fly on the wall when Jesus is going off on somebody? Like, we don't really picture that Jesus. We, we picture Jesus, you know, waiting for the children and coming up, or like, you know, on the cross. But do we picture Jesus, like, flipping a lid, losing his mind, angry at people, and calling them really bad names? Like, that's not the Jesus that we picture. But we're going to go into a text in, in words that we are not comfortable with, things that we would never call people Jesus is going off on some people, so you can get excited about that text. But I want to set up our whole series with this idea of tension and, and really how we're going to begin to view these tensions um, in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to see that Christ himself set up a certain leadership in the church and, and for a certain purpose. We've looked at this text over the past six months quite a bit. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, so that you and me be built up, the body of the Christ be built up, so we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Remember we talked like, the, we feel like we've got to take one, and we've got to feel like we'd be combating one another on these texts that I think if we really sat down and said, hey, yeah, I do believe that's true, I do believe that's true, 
why are we so angry at one another? That unity in the faith is a big thing for Paul. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. This is a big part of why, why Paul as a pastor, an evangelist, an apostle is going around planting churches and he wants his churches to be mature because he was not like a, a pastor like in the way that I was, like am and, and I'm here. Like this is my life. He was actually, like he'd start a church here and then he'd take off and be like, you guys got it. Would anybody be comfortable with that if I just took off? Like we're not used to that in our American, you know, scenario that, hey, the church is running, you know, and, and he would come back to it. So he's desiring maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That we are this representation of Christ here on this, on this earth. And then listen to this, then we'll no longer be like infants. We're tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. I get this idea of this kind of going back and forth, being tossed back and forth by the waves. I picture a pendulum. You guys are familiar? You guys remember the things where like the ball would hit and then bounce back and forth and slowly but surely it would slow down. You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't know. Is that a pendulum? Yeah, we'll go with that. And so there's this idea of going, moving back and forth. And some of us, when it comes to our theology, when it comes to um, our, our just maturity and growing as, as just human beings, like even like, you know, before like our Christian maturity, like we've had this kind of swinging back and forth where we think, yeah, that's true. Well, well that's true too. So I, I'm going to come over here and we kind of swing both ways. I think as some parents in the house, maybe your, 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 parent, your kids are grown or maybe your kids are very young. You probably parented, figured this out as parenting, like, Hey, I'm going to be really stern, and we kind of realize, oh, maybe we're a little bit too stern, and like next week I'm going to be a little softer, and we just kind of begin to find our way and understand, and I feel like if we'll embrace all the truth that the Bible has to offer, then we'll find ourselves locked in in a stable place, and that, that tension that, that the scripture presents itself. I'm not, I'm, there's some scriptures that are completely black and white, and then there's other scriptures that we find in, like, hey, that's true, and that's true, and we live in this tension of these truths. We feel like we've got to choose, but we, we need to just lock in, and, and I think it's in that place that we, there's something good happening, that maturity is happening. We'll no longer be like infants tossed back and forth. Let's go to verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love will become, uh, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that's Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So this idea of being grown up in this unity and maturity that Christ desires for us and the, the organization he's put as the church of being a body in which we, we learn to live out that unity, we learn to live out that maturity, we're going to dive into that more and more. That's kind of going to be the backdrop of just finding this stable place that God's called us to of maturity. And so again, I told you we're going to look at, at faith and works, and it, it, we come from all kind of different places and maybe how we've grown up, but this is one of the most core things to what's foundational to, not one of the, it's the most foundational teaching on the gospel that we can have. And so it's very important as we dive in here today that, that we, we kind of pull ourselves back because there's this assumption that we, we've got it all figured out, but I think every single one of us, no matter how far you've been in the faith or if you're brand new into it, like, just taking and say, God, just teach me. Like, help me to grow more in my faith is really where I want us to approach. So we're going to look at two texts. Two texts that kind of seem to highlight, underline, if you will, you know, one side of it. They kind of underline works, and the other one kind of underlines faith. And neither one of them are saying not fit works and not faith, but they're actually promoting one another. But we feel like we've got to pick. So let's dive in here. Let's begin with James chapter 2. Familiar 
text when we, we come to a talk like this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? You can see how some people begin to become very works mind, with a mindset, like I've got to prove myself, some of the things that Benaiah was just talking about in worship, this is dead on. Can such faith save them? Suppose a, a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. I mean, the, the, the easy kind of quick bumper sticker thing is like faith, you know, um, without works is dead. Like, it's useless. That's what he's saying here. And so some, there, there's been a camp, and some of us have been raised by this. Even if it's not like biblical being raised, like it was a works mentality in your household. Like, You've got to prove it. You've got to make something happen. What those grades look like? Like it was almost like there was an exchange here. Like if you produced well, I would love you. If you produced, if you had these certain actions, and some of us that you know, that have maybe been in the church um, for some time, like maybe you grew up in an environment even with Christianity, but that that was the the idea that hey, you've got to act a certain way. You've got to got to look a, a certain way. Everything's got to be perfect. You've got to have all these good works coming out in order to be saved, and, and that was kind of the first thing, but understanding that, that he's not releasing the, the idea of faith here, he's saying that it's got to be accompanied, there's got to be both, so he's kind of saying both and, you got to have both, and so as opposed to being so kind of one-sided, let's look at another text and see what it says, and as opposed to saying, hey, it's got to be this way or it's got to be that way, let's look at the tension that's here, and it's actually good for us, we draw closer. For it's by grace, Ephesians chapter 2, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. He's like, but so that no one can boast. For we're God's handiwork. It's more about God's work in our life, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance to do. This is such a good one because it kind of show us, shows us the tension here that, that they, they go hand in hand with one another. It's not one or the other, but it's both and. That, but this gives us kind of a process for it here that it's not by works that no one can boast for we're God's handiwork. It's more about what God's doing in us. It's more about that faith in what he can do and less about what we can do. And this is a, this is a small but very important big difference in our lives and some of us, we, we may be in that mindset that but I was just talking about, very much striving, doing everything we can to meet up, and it's just changing the approach to that, and say, God, it's not about what I'm going to be able to do, what I can bring to the table, but it's about what you can do in my life. It's what you can do through me, that you've created good things for me to do. And so, uh, with that kind of setting us up with this idea of, of faith and works, let's go into this Matthew chapter 23, and Jesus is going to kind of make this all clear for us. As muddy as I made it, he's going to make it super clear as he goes off. Like, you guys get excited. This is kind of fun to watch Jesus. We're just going to kind of like walk up. You ever walked up on an argument? Like, you ever walked up on somebody going off? You're like, okay, awkward. I'm going to walk out of here. I'll just let you have your, your fight or whatever it's going to be. This is kind of what we're going to do with the text. We're just going to enter into it here uh, and, and pick up a, a few points of it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. This is Jesus talking. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. How many of you guys would be uncomfortable? Like, how many of you guys hate to be called a hypocrite? Like, nobody wants to be called a hypocrite. Like, 
And so I think even if none of us would call ourselves like the religious elite teachers of the law or Pharisees, I think it's important for us to kind of put ourselves in that place lest we be hypocrites. Like, let's go ahead and receive the strong teaching. Let's go ahead and receive this that we could grow up um, in in what Christ is teaching here. You hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. He's saying both and. He's saying don't pick and choose what you want to do. Don't think you're doing these works of of tithing and then forget the the more important big things, like if we were doing the faith and works, like don't just do the works, but make sure it starts with the, the faith, the more important matters. Don't neglect the works, but certainly don't forget the, the, the most important thing. And, and so I think this, it's funny that many times when we talk about tithing, and just because I'm, I'm a pastor and tithing is important, it's, it's a living the blessed life. This is a thing where I've heard people say, well, tithing is an Old Testament principle. Oh, it's something that, you know, was talked about, was taught about in, in the Old Testament. But here Jesus says, don't stop doing it. Um, continue doing it, but don't neglect, um, practice the latter and the former. And he calls them, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. You, you're, you're paying attention to all the little details, but you're missing the big picture. I mean, how many of us are like that? We're, we're not going to be blind guides. In, in this text, I kind of think like, Jesus, like, what if somebody is actually blind in there? Like, that would be really offensive. Like, Jesus, that's not cool. Like, someone may, could be blind, and again, like, Jesus is probably like, oh, my bad, healed. Like, that's probably like, sorry I offended you, now you're healed. Like, is that better? You know, he'd work it all out. But, um, you know, this is, uh, he's calling them blind guides, and you strain out a nap. But how many times do we do this? Like, how many times is this our mindset, our perspective on a daily basis? We're digging into everybody's little issues. We're, we're looking at everybody else's works. We're looking at what they're doing, and we forget that we're, like, trying to get the little gnat out. Ye- yesterday, we had done some, um, Marcus here is a mechanic, and had helped us a little while back uh, change out a radiator and do some stuff, and, and I had uh, that uh, coolant, that antifreeze, sitting there, uh, for a while, and so I'd, I'd kind of collected some, some junk, in the, and there was a dead lizard down on the bottom, and so I was, it would be like me letting, and so I was putting it back into the, the bottle yesterday, and so there was like some kind of dust particles, and I'm like, this won't be a big deal, but when we got to the lizard, I'm like, yeah, the lizard's not going back into the bottle, you know, so it would be kind of this idea that I, I would kind of pick out the little things, but then I'd let the lizard go in, <laughs> you, know, and, you know, back to the bottle of clean stuff, and so how many times are we like that in our own life? And really, I think that what Jesus would be saying to us is, is really, throughout this text, really three two-word instructions that Jesus gives us here. Three two-word instructions. The first one is both and. Don't pick and choose. Don't just say, hey, I'm going to grab this one and not this one. He, he's saying you've got to have both. You've got to have both. And, he, and he's going to give us a process of what that looks like. But I think it's important, as we kind of get into this, to realize that all of us have some level of blindness like, we'll, we'll look, okay, we're not, we're not physically blind, but hey, maybe there, there's things we're missing in our own lives. And in this place of pride that we come to, we're like, hey, yeah, yeah, somebody else has got that issue going on. Someone else has that issue, but not, not me, I think is a, is a big thing. And we all have blindness, but that's why God gave us the scriptures, to be a mirror, to be a reflection. And it's so funny how, like, many times we, we avoid those things that will help us, Right? I know it's good for me to go to the gym. I know it takes some discipline to wake up in the morning and go do it. But hey, like, how many times do I avoid that, right? I know it's good for me to eat healthy, but how many times would I rather eat Oreos? 
Like we know what the things are that help us, but how many times do we avoid them? But God set up all these incredible things in our life for us to not avoid, but they are for our good. These scriptures are for our good, and instead of saying, hey, I just want this one, I just want that one, realize that God God wants us to embrace them both because they're for our maturity. And when we live in that tension of not trying to choose, but receiving it. So he's given us the scriptures, the Holy Spirit to correct us, not just to comfort us, but to correct us. To I mean, I don't know how many times, like, I've just, the Holy Spirit just revealed to me, hey, like, what you're doing is wrong here. Like, I don't know how many times that happened. Too many to count. And like, seeking that, as opposed to running from that and saying, oh, I kind of feel that. And then kind of running away from that correction, like looking for it, saying, God, is there something in my life today that you would like to reveal in me so that we don't become a hypocrite, so that we don't become that hypocrite, that blind, blindness to our own. I mean, not only gave us the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, I mean, he, he gave us the church. He gave us the church body. That's what, what uh, Ephesians 4 said, that, that he gave us this leadership. He gave us this body as iron sharpens iron, if you want to go to the proverb. I mean, there's so many ways in which God is here to... Um, to help reveal that blindness in our own life. I mean, how many of you guys have ever gotten in an accident before because of the blind spot? Right? Some of you. My first accident was like a week and a half into driving. I think I talked about this recently. Um, and and I, I got an accident. It was my blind spot. I mean, like, this person was kind of coming up over a hill and it was right in my blind spot, a week and a half into driving. Come on. Like, Worst nightmare for a parent, you know, just immediately to, to get in an accident. But having a blind spot, how many times in our, our life are we getting in accidents, you know, if you will, because of our blind spot? And, and how many times are we the last one to know? Like years later, we find out we've had this issue that we've been, um, we've come off very arrogant to people. We've come off um, very uh, strong-willed and people have had a tough time connecting because they don't feel like we're being honest with whatever it is, whatever personality things, whatever character things over time, like we're the last one to find out, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, we knew that about you like six years ago when we first met you. Like you just now are realizing that you're kind of like a bull in a china shop. You're just now figuring this out. Like, I, I learned that in the first 30 seconds that I knew you. We have this own blindness, and, and we'll, we'll strain out the gnat, but we'll, we'll forget the camel. We'll swallow the camel. So I think Jesus is telling both Anne and beginning to dig into our blindness here uh, and allow God in all these ways to, um, to instruct us to combat our blindness. Uh, let's continue um, uh, with the next text uh, about inside first, but let's go back to the text here. Verses uh, 20. Uh, the one before that, one before that, right there. Uh, woe to you, teachers of the law. Jesus is kind of being repetitious here, and he's kind of developing a rhythm. Like you start going off on somebody, you like kind of repeat the same thing and keep going, almost in poetic form. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, he calls them in again, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, again with the blindness, Jesus. Like first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and listen to this, underline this, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. He's giving us, he's kind of set up the the kind of the product and like how we're, the approach, if you will, on both and, and now he's given us the process that it happens inside out. How many of you have grown up like understanding, again, works first, and like it started with, with that mentality? Anybody like kind of grown up around that? I think some of us have, and we come to that idea, and even if you haven't been in a church that's like that, like many times, just naturally, we, we feel the need to kind of get our stuff cleaned up, 
before we come to Jesus. But Jesus is really instructing straight on. I mean, he, he gives this vivid picture of cleaning the outside of the cup, but not the inside of the cup. I mean, how many of you guys, like, you got the glasses and, like, the water spots? Anybody hate the water spots? Yeah. And so we're always like, oh, is it dirty? Is that on the outside or the inside? Or you're trying to clean a window, and you're like, is this the outside or the inside? And I, I think that's a great perspective for us as we're asking the Lord, hey, God, do this in my life, and I feel some tension here. Like, I feel the need, like, I need to do this. And just asking ourselves, is this an outside or is this an inside problem? Is this dirty on the outside or is this dirty on the inside? Just that quick question like we would looking at a mirror when we're cleaning it, like we're looking at a glass when we're trying to get the spots out. Saying, God, is this an outside issue or is this an inside issue? Because Jesus is giving us the process here, inside first, and then the outside will also be clean, blind Pharisee. I think Jesus is giving us kind of the roadmap to the process, and he's saying inside first would be his two-word instruction to us. Inside first. And just to kind of quickly go through, like, really the, the process of, of salvation, just so everybody's on the same page and the clarity in this. And uh, this isn't something in Scripture that is uh, necessarily, like, put in, like, a bullet form, but it's talked about all throughout, uh, particularly the, the New Testament and, and salvation through Jesus. And we have this great perspective as, as Christians that, um, that uh, th- these Pharisees didn't have at this time. They didn't have... Um, Jesus crucified. They had Jesus preaching, doing miracles. They didn't have Jesus crucified. They didn't have 2,000 years of history to look back on and learn from. We have that, and we're at a great advantage because of that. So let's look at this real process uh, of salvation, that it begins with justification. These are all big, kind of fancy theological words, and you don't have to use them in your daily life, but it's important that you understand them. It's important because the texts talk about them all the time, um, and first, like Romans 3 begins to, to talk about justification, that we're, we're all justified, um, you know, as we uh, put our faith in Jesus, and that it's made clean, made just. It's a legal term. It's a legal term, you know, that, that it was, uh, the penalty was paid, if you will. Uh, we've been made just, we've been made clean, pure by faith. It's by faith in the grace work of Jesus. This is where it starts, but this is not where it ends. It's where it starts, but it's not where um, it ends, we made clean just by, um, and just by faith in the grace work of Jesus. Sanctification is really the next kind of thing that happens in our life is that we don't just want Jesus to be our Savior that we find in justification. We don't just want him to be our Savior, but we also want him to be Lord. You've probably heard that, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen, or something like that. Like, uh, you've heard that in a prayer somewhere. Lord and Savior, and both of them are important. Like you, We've got to have both and there is not just, you know, uh, repentance for our sins, but it, it's turning away from those sins. Sanctification is submission to God uh, of Christ, uh, not just faith, but also submission to him on a daily basis. And that is what produces both inner and outer purity, both inner and outer. And that's the sanctification process. And it's, you know, some will say it lasts a short amount of time. Some will say it happens in a moment. And then others will say it takes an entire lifetime. I don't want to speculate on what that timeline looks like, okay? Um, Because there's nothing in Scripture that really talks about that. But it it does talk about it being a process that happens and can be completed in our life where we submit our lives and and it produces both internal and external um, purity. And that's what we see Jesus saying here is that it's got to be from the inside out, the process in which that happens. But many times, it, it looks very differently. The process continues, um, though. It's righteousness is c- just correct thinking. It's right thinking. It's right actions. Like, when we have that renewed mind that Romans 12 talks about, we have a renewed mind, we begin to view life differently. 
If you have the same perspective you had before Jesus, I don't think you've met Jesus. Like, if you had the same worldview uh, pre-Jesus as you do post-Jesus, like, something is wrong. Like, I, I don't think you met Jesus because all of us at that point, we, we begin to accept what Jesus' viewpoint is, we, what he says uh, about our lives. Um, and, and it's, in, for all of you that have experienced that, it's incredibly freeing because in that we find truth. Not our truth, but his truth. Righteousness, correct thinking and action based on scriptures. Holiness, the pursuit of a life that reflects the nature of God. Really, the sanctification process, righteousness can kind of all be put together, if you will, in, in many ways. But holiness is just a life that, that, that we want to reflect the nature of God. We want to reflect his nature. And that's, he, uh, the scripture says, um, <clears throat> uh, to be holy because I am holy, is what one of the scriptures that the Lord spoke. Be holy because I'm holy. Because if he's holy, because he's set apart, because he's perfect in his thinking, he has right thoughts, right truth, right actions, then it's, it's allowing him to live that through us, live a life that reflects that nature of God here on the earth. And so this process of inside first, but many times it's presented us very differently. We feel like we've got to get cleaned up on the outside before we can come in. Like remember back to just kind of your first encounter with church or, or with God or anything growing up or in the past several years, you've had this mindset, however long it's, it's been that you've connected to a church, like we had this mindset, let me come get my act cleaned up first. We, we kind of begin to do this process backwardly, naturally, don't we? We feel like we've got to get everything worked out and then slowly but surely we'll work ourselves for our salvation. And, and it's not that we don't need the works, it's not that God doesn't want to do some things externally, but it's that he wants to do it in a certain order and the most pure thing happens from the inside out. And that's what, what really Jesus is pounding here is that th there's a way to it. And, and we've got to, again, just combating our blindness, know that, that God has put a lot of things in our, uh, in our path and in our life to help us grow in that way. Um, and certainly he's given us now a process for what that looks like, the inside first. Let's continue the scriptures here. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Jesus, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. If you're thinking that's something else, no, it's just, it's a tomb. There's nothing else they're talking about there. But on the inside, they're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus talks about hypocrisy and hypocrites so much. Jesus uses it seven times in this, like, this text here, this rant, if you will, of Jesus. He calls people hypocrites. Like, these are the religious elite. These are the, you know, these are the teachers of the law. This isn't, you know, whoever just kind of stumbled into the law. This is the teachers of the law. Jesus is going off on them because they've lost, and it's amazing, it calls them blind so many times because they've kind of lost their way in this. And I think if we're really open and we're really honest with ourselves, there's maybe not a big area, maybe it's a small area, maybe it's a massive area in our life in which we've been blind to. We've been blind to. And, and I, I think what the, the text here is saying, really the idea of hypocrisy, not the idea, but the actual Greek word, means like an actor or a stage player. For those of you that are in the drama world, like that's literally what hypocrite, the same word, it'd be someone that played on a stage. It'd be an actor of some sort. And like how many times are we that? Like even on our best day, we're good at lying. Even on our very 
best day. Like we all feel this pressure to lie, to be something we're not. To, to, to be something that we think will please everyone else, that we think you know, will work to, to kind of perform for the world, to perform for our family, to perform for God. But I think the, the greatest joy of the Father is us being in communion with the Son and overcoming the fall through that relationship and overcoming uh, the, the tragedy and, and chaos of this world in being the reflection of his glory on this earth. As we come to communion with the Son, like that gives the Father joy. As we just learn to just be in communion with Him on a daily basis, I'm not talking about once a week, I'm not, I'm not revisiting the, the scriptures every once in a while, flipping over in the app when you're you know, waiting on the doctor's appointment to read the Bible. I'm, I'm talking about communion with the Father 24-7, that He desires with you. And like, look... <laughs> you're good at it. You're, you're as good as I am about putting the smile on and, and being an actor. Like, you could win an Emmy for some of the days this past week. Is that, is that drama? Is that acting? Right? Yes, that is. Grammys. Yeah, that's the music one. We, we, could, we could win some awards for how good we are at it. But I think Jesus' two words to us would just be real. Like, don't, don't just be... Don't just be clean on the outside. Don't just wash the things on the outside and look real pretty. Like, man, that's a beautiful tomb, but on the inside there's, there's bones. And it's as dead as it can be. Like, it's one thing for me to begin to talk about this. I'm like, hey, you know, let's not be hypocrites. It's another thing for you to just hear my story of how good I was at this. So let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, as a kid, I was... Um, I knew all the right things to say. I grew up in church. I, I, I'm good, man. I, I was good at it. Um, and I felt this pressure. I felt this pressure to perform. Um, I don't think anybody put that pressure on me, to be honest. I, I think it's innate in my humanity, in our humanity, to perform, um, to feel like we've got to be something we're not. Um, and... The amazing thing about that is as good as we get at that, the more empty we are on the inside. The more we hate what's on the inside because we know it's not real. So it, it's amazing. I, I begin to really loathe anyone that I perceive to be fake or fraudulent. I, I just hated them. I'm like, they're not real. Like, I don't want to be around them. And that was the worst of it. I was. And I, I hated that own part about myself. That it, it drove me to a very dark place of suicidal thoughts and wanting to yank the wheel anytime I got a chance. Um, and it, I mean, I was the kid. I'd be a tattletale, and I had the worst sins of them all. I was really good at not getting caught because I was a good liar. My mom would pat me on the back. They were so proud of my report card. So proud of their quarterback. I was, I was good. I was really good at impressing people. And I hated my life. And I did. And I, I hated everything that I was because I knew none of it was real. So as I got later into my high school years, I quit everything. Quit everything. Quit being the quarterback of the football team. I quit being the point guard of the basketball team. And I just, I grew my hair out super long. <laughs> when I used to have this little gangster look with this tight fade, and I just grew it out to be like a hippie. I'm like, I gotta be something different. I gotta be something I am. So I still have my hair long. <laughs> and uh, that journey didn't stop there. Um, 
it, it, began, it began with Jesus smashing the mask that I had put up. It, it, that's where it began, with Jesus just like crushing it. Like I just picture myself like with this mask and him literally ripping it out of my hand and just destroying it. Not like plastic, but like ceramic just scattering everywhere. And it's so funny that a few days would pass and I'd try to put it back together and put it up and like then I would just have the eyes, right? It was just so fake and just slowly but surely I found myself in ministry fighting to impress, fighting to pretend. And just my heart, I think us as humans, we just long for something that's real. We just long to be in a real relationship, not a religious one. We long to be transformed because we don't like what is. We long for something that's pure and holy. And we'll receive the truth, but, but walking it out is a very difficult thing. And so today, I, I, I just, I come as a guy that's been really good at what Jesus was going off on. Like, I could have stood proud and be like, yeah, right, Jesus, you're the hypocrite. I, I would have probably had plenty of words. I probably would have cussed him out doing it. Like, that's how, that's how crooked I was. Um, but Jesus, he really did change that. Um, and I'm not perfect. Like, there's days, like, where I tell you it's okay and it's not. There, there's, there's days where, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, I'm fine, and I'm hurting, you know? I'm a real human being. I fight that humanity, but I find such joy and freedom and confidence today to say that I, I don't pretend to be anything I'm not. I, 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 you know, I, I really don't. Um, and, and I long and long, and I know that Christ longs through these things that he's saying He's longing for us to just live in that tension and grow to the fullness that, is, that, that He desires for us to be, to be unified uh, in Jesus, to be, to be working from the inside out, not from the inside, from the outside in, and to just be real, to just be real. Um, and so if you've never been in that kind of relationship with Jesus, I invite you into it today. Jesus invites you into something that's real, maybe for the first time in your entire life. Maybe you just have grown good at being blind to your own stuff. Maybe you've grown accustomed to lying so well that you don't even know the truth between a lie. Like Jesus wants to take that from you. Jesus wants you to find a place of real relationship and an honest truth of faith in what he did and just allowing him to just change our lives from the inside out. And so I want to invite you to stand today.